This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, this podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. I know the season's temporarily suspended, but trust me, there's still a lot of stuff to gamble on, and Bet Online has you covered. All right, let's get into it. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. What's up, guys? Like News Podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by the great Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle. How are you doing, sir? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right. Have you bunkered down somewhere? Social distancing, I think we're calling it. All right? I mean, we all go to our separate corners and, and you know, hope for the best for everyone. Yeah, I work at home a lot anyway, and so I'm in a profession where you can work at home, and so, like everyone, you do the best you can. You go home and, and uh, stay away from everyone. Yeah, I've learned a lot of new words here in the past couple of weeks, including social distancing. This is scary, man. This is scary. A lot of people are at home. A lot of people uh, not at work. A lot of people not at school or wherever. Like, a lot of things being canceled. Uh, we're in a really precarious situation in our world, not just in the NBA. We, the entire feels like the entire world has stopped, and we're just kind of waiting for this thing to... It's not going to die down. I guess just get less worse. We're just kind of waiting for the spread to kind of slow down and trying to prevent everything we can, you know, washing our hands, social distancing, all that. Right. You know, when we talk about terms that we probably had not considered before, um, flattening the curve is one that is incredibly important. And I don't think any of us really ever said that term before. Uh, but now it, it's everything. It's, we know it's coming. And, you know, for those of us in the Houston area, it does feel a little bit like when you know the hurricane is coming and we, there's nothing you can do to stop it. It doesn't feel or look so bad at the moment until you consider the news reports. But we know what's coming. And the only difference is instead of our home or community or our city, it's everywhere. And so, yeah, that's a pretty frightening way to, to think of what, what's heading our way. Yeah, have you read about these people, like, locking down on Purell and trying to sell it online for, like, absurd prices? Yeah, I've seen some of that. I'll, I'll tell you a story, though, because we do need a touch of humor in all this, and it's true. That my nephew uh, went on one of his uh, communities of, of fishermen, and he traded some rainbow trout for some toilet paper because he couldn't get any anywhere. But he was a good fisherman. He had some rainbow trout he brought back from a trip. And he successfully traded rainbow trout for toilet paper. 
Yeah, yeah, that's where we're at. That's where, like, everywhere is out of toilet paper and Purell. I feel like wherever you go, you're, those are the two items you're not going to find, which is weird, but I, I guess it makes sense if you really think about it. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, at the time of this recording, three NBA players have tested positive for the coronavirus, including Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and now Christian Wood. Uh, the NBA has suspended gameplay for at least the next 28 days, and so far there's no indication that uh, what will happen next. But what's that? That's what we're here to talk about. Um, first, let's rewind a little bit. Let's talk. Let's talk about when this when we first started reading about this virus. Um, were you someone who thought suspending gameplay was inevitable once the virus reached the United States, or did you think the NBA would find a way to continue on, perhaps without fans and at the arena and media's in the locker room? Well, it depends which day we're referring to. I thought initially it's a choice between playing without fans and suspending games. I thought that for quite some time, but I did think they might be able to play without fans. And then by and then when they put in sort of the media protocols to keep us six to eight feet away, and I thought well, that does nothing for the fans who are sitting next to each other and using the same escalators and pushing the same elevator buttons, standing at the same counters for service for beers and burgers. I mean, that everybody needs to be six to eight feet away from each other, not just 15 media members and a handful of representative players. Once they put in those protocols, which were reasonable and a good step, I thought, yeah, no, they're going to have to end up applying this kind of logic to the entire community, including fans. It, how quickly it went from, now nah, you can't play with or without fans. You know, I'm not sure the league might have been a little slow in getting to that meeting on Wednesday where they were, okay, tomorrow we'll decide to that night you know, to get to that meeting. But once they got to that night and the first positive test, the league was rapid, I think, about saying, okay, well, let's pull the plug. And everybody else kind of understood and did too. So, I don't know. I thought in the very beginning of the week, which seems so long ago, but it really was the beginning of this week, I thought, how do you have people right next to each other at games? And you can't do that. It was only a couple of days later where they agreed and they're not. Yeah, that first measure with the media really felt like a half measure. Like I, I was with you. I was like, okay, if if you're gonna do this, there's no way you can have you know fifteen thousand plus people in the arena and not have real measures put in place. And it just felt like a matter of when, not if. And then obviously, when Rudy Gobert, when it was found that Rudy Gobert had coronavirus, it was you know there was no question that the league was gonna pull the plug. A lot of lot of talking before anything was done. A lot of conference calls. A lot of meetings with the owners. A lot of lot of you know just a lot of discussions before anything was really reached that was concrete. And it it did surprise me that we got there uh, on Wednesday so quickly once one player got tested for coronavirus. Uh, but it did seem like, I mean, this is the, this is the case, this is what's been reported. The league was going to move towards fans not being at games eventually, and then it just became too much to handle on Wednesday. When, Wednesday was the day where everything kind of broke loose. Like, it all hell broke loose. Like, Tom Hanks tested pro- positive for the coronavirus, and 
you know, same thing with Gobert. Like, it just felt like the entire world's like, okay, yeah, we need to take this more seriously. Like, we need to recognize what's going on in Northern Italy, in China, in all these other countries that have experienced the pandemic before it came to the United States and realize, like, yeah, this is something we have to take this seriously with the social distancing and the and the washing the hands and all that stuff and limiting the large gatherings. Yeah, and, you know, I think we probably as a nation should have understood what was coming when you watched and saw what was happening around the world. This thing spread so quickly that there was no way to avoid the, the course that we're now on. And I think we were a little slow in realizing this will happen. What we're seeing happen, we should have, in hindsight, realized this will happen. Um you know, I, I think, I go back to early in the year when the Rockets had a flu in the locker room, and it, it went through the room, and everybody had the same symptoms. I got it, and, and my symptoms were exactly the same as Austin Rivers, and the duration, remember when he was going to play that night, he warmed up, he stretched, he did all the preparations to play, and then it went from that to absolutely no way he could play just like that. Well, that's exactly the way it happened with me a few days later in Cleveland. Well, this thing is much more contagious and obviously much more dangerous, but it goes to show how a virus gets in a locker room setting or any you know work setting, and it can spread real, really quickly. Well, how, how in the world was it not this one, which is so contagious? How could it not have spread as we have seen and multiply the way it does? Yeah, and the average NBA player interacts with more people on a, on a day-to-day basis than your average person. They just do. Like, they, you got media, you got team personnel, you got other players, you got opposing teams. Like, there was just no way you could continue on as business as usual unless you quarantined every NBA official, including players, team personnel, coaches, everything. Like there that was the only way you could do that and there was no way you can guarantee that. That's just that's just an unbelievable amount of manpower to devote to some to keeping the league alive uh, without fans. Yeah, well, athletes in general can be very tactile, you know, the whole from high fives to, you know, grab you around the net, whatever. And then, you know, great athletes, they stop, they, they're asked for, to take selfies, they sign autographs. Yeah, it, it is a, a life that would spread something if you get it. But really what the CD has told us for some time now, uh, given the timeline of this thing, how rapid it's gone, that a very large percentage of this population will get it. It can get from athlete to athlete because of their setting, but this one is going to get from person to person, uh, you know. In other words, all the steps that we're taking, with hindsight, we now know, and maybe people would not have until it got further along, but we now know, yeah, we should have done social distancing much sooner. Yeah, we're way past the point of containment. We're on the point of mitigation, as you said earlier in the podcast, where we're trying to keep hospitals from overloading and being overstaffed and stuff like that. That That's the point we are in this country. We're trying to prevent um, that kind of stuff from happening that you're seeing in Northern Italy. Um, 
Now, the question in everyone's mind is what happens now? And to me, that's such a loaded question because there's so many factors to keep in mind. There's the actual schedule element of this where the league would have to effectively reschedule over 250 games if they don't plan on reducing the schedule. They, they would have to go to all these arenas and find new dates, which is incredibly complicated. And then when you factor in that you have to talk to all their TV partner, partners, it's even more of a headache. Then there's the playoffs and summer league and free agency and all these other events that the league would have to push back at least a month into the season and have to worry about truncating the following season. And then there's the and then there's option two, which is the hardest and I suspect the last resort for the league, which is simply canceling the season. That's probably not going to fly because we've already played sixty over sixty games for each teams, and at least half of these teams will want to compete in the playoffs and crown a champion. Um, and then there's obviously the incredible financial hit for such a decision. You lose all that regular season gate revenue for the remainder of the season, all the TV money, and obviously the playoff money. Money. I'll go ahead and and, and ask you before I, I respond. Um, if you were to take an educated guess, what do you personally think is going to happen? Well, everything I've been told from the relatively few people that I've been able to reach are very familiar with what was discussed in the Board of Governors meetings. The the, the consensus was by far try to salvage something. After that, you know, we're, yes, the pause is for a month, but at this point, there's no reason to think they're playing in a month. Um, Dr. Fausti of the NIH said yesterday that it can expect eight weeks. Uh, not He wasn't speaking of the NBA, but before you can start thinking of, of some normalcy. If you push back the NBA until eight weeks, or nine or ten if you take some consideration that it might be longer and might, you need a training camp of some sort. Um, you're talking about a, a late August finish of the season if they play out the last month and then two months of a postseason. Would they, and then there's all these other ramifications that even in just the narrow view of how this impacts the NBA, those are even relatively minor than actually trying to play some basketball. In other words, when do you have a draft? When do you have free agency? How do you do free agency when you have to forecast basketball-related income, which determines the salary cap? How do you do scouting? How do you, you can't have a combine. You can't have a summer league. Even if you just look at only playing the games, would they try to do a season that would finish in late August and return a month later for the start of the next one. I, I don't know that they would. Plus, it, that would absolutely require an addendum letter to the collective bargaining agreement. And there are provisions to do that with collective bargaining agreements. But with the Players Association, I guess if it becomes a choice of no season at all, which would cost a tremendous number of paychecks, would the Players Association go for that? Or for that matter, would they insist, no, we've got to play all 80 because we've got to get paid for all 80 or 82, and then the playoffs? And, and so these are questions that no one can answer right now. But the idea that, oh, they're playing in a month, I, I can't foresee that at all. Uh, that Going back to part one, no, I don't see that at all. That, you know, you can postpone everything for a month finish mid to late July instead of mid to late June. I think that's way overboard optimistic. With currently no NBA, NHL, or college basketball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. 
Bet online still has hundreds of places to wager. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts and esports is on the rise. If you're into entertainment, you can still bet on American Idol, The Election, The Spelling Bee, and even Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your new ticket to online action. Yeah, and you know, obviously there's the element of will they actually finish out the full season, which is about like 20 games. Like like that's that to me is really hard to envision. But at at the same time, there's the money element, which is you're going to if you truncate the season even a little bit, you're talking about potentially millions of dollars. Like let's just say you reduce the game the schedule to 8 games, right? You finish off the the season with 8 games for every team. Okay, well, you do that, and you're lo- you're talking about at least a million dollars in gate revenue for every game for every team, and you know that's a huge financial hit. And then you're talking about reducing the paychecks and and all you know the the other arena workers who so far have been compensated by these teams, but if they keep on working, you know, God knows what happens there. And it's just it it gets really complicated. And I guess you can talk about reducing games in the playoffs, you know, perhaps making it a, a five-game series instead of a seven-game series. That's, you know, I'm not sure if the NBA is willing to go for that because, again, that's reducing games. I, it's one of those things where, like, you kind of you kind of look at the idea of potentially freezing the season as is and just starting the playoffs when it starts over. Do you think the league will even explore not closing out the season or truncating any of the games? Absolutely, they have to explore everything, and they, they they need to explore it during these thirty days. Even though they probably won't restart in thirty days, but they need to kind of weigh the cost and benefits of each option. They could have some form of tournament to determine seating um, and to determine draft order. Uh, although then, do you want would teams be trying to lose? But, you know, they they have to maybe think of that. And if you do that, do you play it with no fans? Or if you play a truncated version of the remainder of the season but play it with no fans, what difference does it make where you play it? Do you just pick a few neutral sites and where they can stage the games as made-for-television event and just play those handful of games or whatever number it is? So they need to weigh all of this. And... If they decide, okay, well, let's at least look into what it would take to play out to the remaining 20 games each team would have, roughly, and then play playoffs, what's the availability of the arenas in the summertime, where you didn't have to look at it and you didn't have to block out time? Now, that's probably something you can work out. I don't think the arenas are generally quite as busy in the summer as they are in typical basketball months. But these are all things that they've got to look into and then weigh over the next 30 days and give the Board of Governors time to say, okay, this is what we've learned. This is the benefits, but this is the cost of each of these options. As I say, I think they'll play something. Um, I just don't know that the idea of playing, you know, 65 days of postseason and 30 of regular season I don't know that they're going to be able to squeeze that in. Yeah, if I were to make a guess right now, I would say I think the league cuts the remainder of the season in half. Like I think I think there's going to be some sort of run up to the playoffs, so about seven to eight games, and then I I, I 
I think the league will probably continue on with the seven game series in each. Perhaps maybe in the first round they make it five game series like they did way back when. Uh, and you know the rest of the playoffs you can continue on with the seven game series. I if I were to guess that's the route I think is probably you know most salvageable for the for the NBA. I think. You know, you you get your run up to the playoffs. You get all these teams that you know want a chance to compete for a playoff spot. They they get that. All these teams that want to solidify their their seating in the in their conference, they get that. And you still get you still get a traditional warm up for the for the playoffs. Which you know, all these players they're gonna want something before the playoffs. They they, they don't want to start the season without playing whatever six weeks worth of games. Like the, the, these players obviously want to continue on too. And then you obviously get some sort of that some of that compensation back. You're not going to get all of it. You're you're going to lose something here in in my proposed version of the remainder of the season. But you do get at least half of that back. Um, and you get you you obviously get your TV revenue, your gate revenue, all that stuff back uh, in the playoffs. So let let's go ahead and talk about the Rockets for a second because I can't have you on without discussing the spot the Rockets were in before the season was stopped. It was. It was kind of awkward because they just finished off a four-game losing streak, and then they, they they snapped it with that game over the Timberwolves. James Harden was shooting really badly up until that game. Uh, defensively, they were still trying to, you know, regain that identity that they had in that six-game winning streak. Uh, they're twelve and six in the microball era, uh, and that's much better win percentage-wise than they were before playing microball. Like they were on a fifty-one win pace before. And now they're on a fifty-five win pace. Um, I'm, I still, I'm still not sure if I have a handle on their idea. I think I know what the Rockets are. I'm not sure if what from what I know about the Rockets. I'm not sure if that's where the Rockets want to be going into the postseason. Well, you know, all of this comes with a giant if. But if they do get to play again and. They're in the playoffs. I think they know who they are and what they have to be to play well. Uh, and really, it's all about the defense. If they defend well, the offense generally comes around, and there's a whole lot less pressure on, on the offense when they're defending well. They, they defended really badly in that losing streak, really badly. Uh, in, in the winning streak, they had the seventh ranked defense in the league. In the losing streak, they had the 25th, I believe, in the league. But... They should defend well with this style. Uh, on a, and the thing that people had overlooked was they're bigger than they were prior to the lineup change on average because depending on which listing uh, you look at, Covington is two inches shorter than um, Clint Capella, but Eric Gordon was starting at six foot three then, and now you have Daniel House starting, and you're playing Jeff Green more off the bench, and he's certainly the 6'8", he's listed as, they, they should be, it shouldn't be as much of an issue. Switching everything suits them and their personnel well. They just have to find a way to rebound well. And they have to play with much, much more force than when they were in the losing streak and it, it had gotten to them. It, it really did start with the sort of that feeling too good about themselves performance in New York. And so they, they sort of tapped the brakes on what was working, ended up costing them a game, and then they got absolutely smoked by the Clippers, and it got to them. I don't think that's who they actually are or were. I think they know how they have to play. 
defensively. And if they do that, they'll get it together offensively. And they started to come out of it. You know, they played a lot of that those last couple games, the back-to-back over the weekend, sort of carrying the weight of the losing streak and doing things uncharacteristic. I mean, James Harden was not missing free throws because they're playing small ball. You know, everything's supposed to be about that. Well, it's not. I think they got... I mean, now it's all moot, but I think just getting through that game and getting a win against a depleted Minnesota team was enough just to get that kind of burden off of themselves. And, and I think they know who they are and how they have to play, which is a real key for any team, regardless of your style. You must know who you are and what you need to do best. And when things go badly, you go to what you do best. And I think they do have that. So you mentioned that the Rockets have to rebound well in order to win games. And I would agree with you. That's traditionally how you try and continue to keep a good defense. But, you know, you look at the last 15 games, the Rockets are 30th in the league in rebounding percentage. And on the season overall, they're 25th. And we talked about defense earlier. And this is something I've been thinking about for the past couple of weeks. Like, you know, they have these good stretches. As you mentioned, the six-game winning streak, they were seventh in the league defensively. And then they have these bad stretches, these god-awful stretches where they're 25th in the league. That's been a trend all season. That they, they have stretches on and off like that all season. And what that amounts to is a middle-of-the-pack defense. And if they have a middle-of-the-pack defense, you know, I'm like I'm just kind of wondering, like, does that not give them a hard ceiling in the postseason? Or does this mean they just have to be hitting their good streaks when they're playing, you know, of playing good defense in the second round onwards? As you know, who knows? Because you have to build your way back to whatever you're going to be consistently. I don't think teams change in the postseason. Well, they have a chance to build back to what they can be defensively. I mean, they, I, I do think that the losing streak was more fraudulent than the winning streak. Now, I don't know if they're seventh in the league, but they do cause some teams problems. And, you know, their rebounding percentage is going to be bad because their offensive rebounding percentage will be terrible. They're just not going to be that. It's just can they be a middle-of-the-pack defensive rebounding percentage? Uh, and I would think, yeah, they're not going to be really great. They're not even going to be good. But I do think that four games was misleading more than the winning streak was misleading for being good defensively. As you said, seventh might be a little better than you can expect, but... They shouldn't be much worse than that. They should be in the 10 to 12 range, maybe not as bad as the 15 that they are overall for the season or have been most of the year. Well, here's what helps them. In that four-game losing streak, they were shooting god-awful from three-point range. And I don't think that's that's consistent with what they are as a team. And they got Eric Gordon back, which helps a lot. Like, I think we had a podcast earlier this season, and we talked about the importance of Eric Gordon. And James Harden and Mike D'Antoni always talk about how these, like, Eric Gordon is much more important than what he's made out to be uh, in the national media. And that's true. He is probably their third most important player after James and Russ, like, especially after the Clint Capella trade. Like, he is so important to what they do on both ends of the floor. On ball, he's a pretty effective defender. Off ball, uh, that's, that can get better. Uh, offensively, he is obviously super important as another ball handler they can depend on, as, as another penetrator, as another quality shooter, especially off the dribble. You know, catch and shoot, he's not as great, but off the dribble, he's a really, really effective three point shooter. Um, 
And you need that third guy to be able to continue on having a good offense. And, you know, in that losing streak, they were just really got awful on offense. And when they're winning, you know, even when they have bad stretches defensively, they can lean on that top three defense and continue to grind out wins. And I think that's an element in the playoffs that I think that, you know, they miss. They miss that from Eric Gordon. They, they, they need that. Uh, and Eric Gordon has been, you know, he's missed nearly half the games for the regular season. Having him back is a huge boost. Oh, if he, he has to round into form. He showed some positive signs, and so now, if there's an abbreviated run-up to the playoffs, can he be what he's capable of being? He needed time. You know, he's missed so much time this year. He needed game time, and will he have enough but yeah, he is tremendously important. He makes them a different level of team than what we have seen through much of the year because he's very good, but because what they do suits him so well, as you were talking about. You know, that range shooting lineup, he is a guy who does take the ball to the basket off the dribble. And he has not done that very effectively. He hasn't finished effectively this year, but he has that in his game if he gets back to it. And then on the other end, he is a really good defender when he gets switched on to big men. And he is, well, James is sort of, isn't very fundamental, but he's effective. At that, he fights for position, and James is a strong guy, and he's way heavier than people realize. He's hard to move. He does some good things. You look at Eric Gordon, and it's like exactly as they teach post-defense, except he happens to be 6'3" instead of 6-9, but he's really good at it, and he's also strong. He takes his position. So he enables, he works well with the switching style. And, you know, it's 30 minutes a game. That's a lot of minutes. You need a guy to play well, which he generally has not done through most of the year. This is not a good year for him. If this had not happened, and if they were playing the schedule, he was going to be playing that 30 minutes to get him back up to speed. And how the Rockets do in the postseason that might come, a lot of that will depend on can they get enough time to get him back to the level they need him. Yeah, and also an element of him of his return. You know, I like Ben McLemore, but the Rockets can't rely on Ben McLemore to play 25 to 35 minutes a game in the playoffs, and they can with Eric Gordon. Like, he, like Ben McLemore is just too much of a defensive liability he tries hard you know uh, i'll give him credit for that but he's just too much of a liability to play heavy minutes in the playoffs and i think eric gordon gives you that you know solid dependability that you don't get with other players on the roster and you know a question i have you know now now that we're in the position that we are like does a you know does this break help him or did can it hurt him in that he doesn't have a run-up to the playoffs that he might have if he, if he, you know, if the season had continued. Well, we won't know until we know what kind of run-up he gets, and, and will it be enough? But yeah, he can definitely do a lot of work and you know do the best you can to get in shape. But at the risk of falling back to a NBA cliche, uh, the only way to be prepared to play NBA basketball is by playing NBA basketball, and you know nobody's going to be doing that for a while. So, yeah, they're the guy who hasn't played enough in, in the past four months. He, he needs to do all the work that you assume these guys will be doing, but he needs game time. And, you know, nobody knows how much of that will come. 
Uh, a quick question. Are these guys allowed to go back to the Toyota Center to get treatment, work on stuff um, in this brief period where they're not playing games? Yeah, I think they will be. It'll be more formalized of what the plan is going forward. You know, there was some talk of, of yes, you can start doing individual workouts Monday. Um, I was told that the NBA directive and if I was writing it, directive would be in quotes, was not as formal as has been often reported, that it was more of a guideline to not do things this weekend. But everybody kind of did sort of view it that way. But let's just, okay, let's just stay apart for the weekend. I, I think players can start going to get treatment, and and in these days we have to say treatment to, you know, physical things, not for the virus, and do some training uh, individually, there was initially some thought that team practices will be allowed periodically, but I think there's going to have to be something more formal on when or if that happens. Um, I don't know if there's no symptoms for, I I think, and now this is just guessing. I have not asked this specific question, but it seems that they'll have to determine a particular period of time in which players and staff have been asymptomatic. And then after that period of time, determine how often they can then do workouts together as opposed to, okay, let's just go right in. Cause right now any of us could be carrying this and not know it, not have symptoms yet. So they might have to determine by talking to the real experts. Okay. How much time being, doing social distancing and being asymptomatic before they can start getting around each other again. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, health and safety is obviously number one. Uh, Jonathan, I love having you on this podcast. Uh, where can we follow you on Twitter and, and find all your work on the Chronicle? Well, I appreciate that. It's Jonathan underscore Sagan. Uh, Sagan is S E I G E N and, you know, go to Houston Chronicle.com or Texas sports nation. Everything is all, all there now. And uh, I will say the Chronicle has a really good page on all the coronavirus updates where you can get it all. Uh, Just kind of, I hate to even use such a trite expression, but the one-stop shopping idea. (laughs) Um, I've gone there many times today um, and the last few days because it is an easy way to kind of catch up. And, you know, it's important, I think, uh, my wife keeps reminding me, step away a little bit, you know, and I've seen people saying, yeah, I'm reading this book I've been meaning to, or uh, I'm catching up on movies I haven't seen or or binge watching shows. And yeah, that is a a good idea. And so actually today I spent a lot of time, I wrote my story today, but I also spent a lot of time uh, watching, um, what is it called? Oh, Basketball, A Love Story. Right. And it's just fantastic. I've enjoyed it so much and so I have stepped away so for me going to a place and this one would be HoustonChronicle.com slash coronavirus I have found that very useful to okay I don't have to watch every second of the news or Twitter or the new whatever news websites you go to I've been able to then check back and you know for mental health is also very important now and I use that little hurricane analogy earlier because we've all gone through it and you know some of us have been hit over the different hurricanes but 
the stress of those can be very dangerous too and, and make us all more likely to, you know, be caught in this. And so it's important to avoid the stress. So I, I've tried to step away. I think people need to, but it's also helpful to be able to, I mean, boom, real quick, catch up on things and to know you can too. Yeah. I need to read that the Basketball is a Love Story book because I, I never got a chance to read it by Jackie McMahon. That, that just seems like a good read that I need to catch up on in this downtime. Yeah, it's terrific. And, you know, I, and it's funny, I, I have my books that I read throughout the year that yeah, this year I've kind of been more into uh, nonfiction than fiction. But during this time away, if I am going to end up having time to read, I was thinking of digging out some of my basketball books, and there's a few that I hadn't read, and uh, sort of getting my fix that way, uh, while still, you know, being able to read and step away just from nonstop news, and, uh, but yeah, the, uh, I, I, you know, just to do the quick plug again, I have found that really helpful today, the, the HoustonChronicle.com slash coronavirus page. Um, they, they're working real hard and keeping that updated and there's uh, sadly there are a lot of updates yeah we'll definitely be checking that out uh, thank you so much for coming on Jonathan please do not go stir crazy and uh, stay safe alright good talking with you as always for sure alright that was Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle if you're not following him already on Twitter make sure to correct that mistake and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes Google Play Spotify and Stitcher we're gonna be podcasting this entire month you know I, I don't really care if basketball is out I'm gonna find stuff to podcast about I'm gonna assume the, the season's gonna continue and you'll find a lot of awesome Rockets related and NBA related podcasts over the next month so don't don't you worry don't you worry. This podcast will continue to annoy the hell out of you, and you're still going to have to endure the tones of my voice. All right, guys. Good night.